Welcome to the People Planet Profit Podcast. I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School, and today I'm joined by John Holland's General Manager of Strategic Procurement, Jim Green. Jim has worked in construction and engineering for his entire career, with extensive time spent in infrastructure, building, mining, and oil and gas sectors. Not only does Jim have a multi-sector experience, he also has spent long periods of his life working outside Australia in far-flung locations, such as the Highlands of Scotland, Houston, Texas, Korea, and Mongolia. This diverse experience has allowed him to deliver innovative procurement solutions that fit the environment in which they will be delivered, while focusing on the implementation of international best practices in the supply ecosystem. In his spare time, Jim is also the new, the freshly minted chair of the board of the Supply Chain Sustainability School in Australia and New Zealand. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Hallie. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> All right, so now I'll be kind to you because you're my new boss, right? So we have to kind of be nice about this. <laughs> but I suppose um, just to give a, our listeners just a bit of a, a context as to why you do everything that you do, why did you become the chair of the school? Very good question. The The school to me is very important uh, for the construction industry generally, and it brings together two things that I'm really passionate of drive my daily life. One is supply chain, the other is sustainability. Um, And they're two similar but different things. Um, And when you bring them together, you can achieve great, great things within your business. Um, When I got back to Australia, I saw that one thing I noticed was that the supply chain or the professionalism managing the supply chain, especially in construction, wasn't what I was used to internationally. And you can see the focus doesn't sit there generally, even in the language we use. In Australia, we refer to D&C contracts, which are design and construct, wherein internationally, they're generally referred to as EPC, which is engineer, procure, construct. Um, Construct is construct, engineer and design about the same, but internationally, procurement's given a far higher focus and a higher level of professionalism is just driven within in that part of doing projects. So that's one thing I see as very important for the Australian industry going forward. And the other thing is sustainability. Uh, Sustainability has lots of meanings for people and it varies from having a spare supplier to supply a widget to protecting the planet overall. Um, and it really doesn't matter how you think of sustainability. It's making sure that we have a future for ourselves. And therefore, the supply chain school ties those two bits in. It's how do we look after our, the economy, the country, ourselves, all, all those sustainable parts of things with doing a really good man- job of managing the supply chain. So bring those two things together. It's a natural fit for me. And I believe I can bring great value to the position. Well, so do I. And I think that's it's <laughs> um, And to give everyone a bit of context, um, Jim's been on the board for a while. So it's not as if he's completely new to the entire organisation and structure. And we've been doing a few things over the years. So watch out for this space because I think there's a lot of good things to come in the next phase of what the school's going through. Um, so just to tap into a little bit of that wisdom. So you've got a lot of... Uh, 
experiential knowledge coming from um, supply chain in multiple industries across multiple countries. Um, like you said, you've come back to Australia and sort of looking out for things. And fair to say, supply chain's had an interesting few years. So yes. <laughs> I'm going to limit you to three things, though. What three things should people look out for in 2023? Oh, I'll combine two of them and give you four anyway. But uh, 2023, I'll start with climate. Um, climate, climate and climate. There is, we have obvious issues with climate in Australia. Um, climate change is real and we're seeing that in Queensland's underwater and our aquifers are recharging in the outback. But there are going to be impacts on projects and supply chains. What they will be, Absolutely no idea, but you can pretty much guarantee we're going to have some major floods, fires and droughts, and more severe than we used to. So planning risk management, understand it may happen. Well, may happen, will happen, almost certainly. Um, and mould your supply strategies with flexibility in them to ensure that when it does happen, that you can get around it without devastating results to your projects so would probably be my first point. Um, the next the next part that probably moves on to looking backwards to look forward, what's happened with COVID, how's that going to affect us? And there are a couple of ways that's likely to affect us. First and most obvious is inflation and wages growth. Uh, the construction sector has never seen so much work. And combine that with three years of COVID and no immigration, we have a real shortage of skills from top to bottom within the construction industry. That's going to drive wages growth. It's going to drive offshoring of, um, of work, which will come in ways like modularization, prefabricated switchboards, all, all those types of things where you can actually shift labor from the construction site, either into a factory in Australia or into a factory overseas or a combination of those. And that will also get driven harder by Southeast Asia. So recently visit Korea. Korea as a country has a real drive to get close to Australia, export more to Australia, work more closely with Australia. And Korea is not alone in, in that drive, although it's probably more obvious there than it is in Japan or Vietnam or places like that. And then we add that China's just opened its borders. They were isolated for um, three years. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying, come on, we want to be friends again and let's trade. So there will be lots of opportunities in those spaces to move supply upstream to them and work out how we're going to deal with the wage inflation by looking at that and there'll be immigration will start again that's probably a good thing the third thing that's not likely to cause supply chain disruption but will cause that aggravation on a lot of thought is your Uluru statement of the heart. Um, now, no matter what your persuasion on the, on the statement is, 
it's going to be a distraction. And it's a very important debate for the country to have. And we need we need to do it less emotionally if possible, because already we're starting to hear voices from all over the place with all sorts of directions and all sorts of weird and wonderful. Um, it will cause this to happen. Um, although incredibly important for us, it can be and will be a distraction to our teams and the execution of our projects. So it's very important that us as people in, in that space have the discussion, have it openly, but don't let it become a distraction to our business. Um, and there's a lot of very good information on that. Um, in a week, I think, uh, Board of AICD are having a webinar on corporate governance on that. Very well worth listening to. We'll provide very good direction on what we need to do to make sure our businesses thrive and we work with everybody to make it happen. There are my three three yeah. things to look out for this year. Not necessarily about buying, but they're um, uh, and they're quite different. But yeah, well, I think. But having said that, like you say, they're not about buying. But I think that what you have pointed to is that most people assume that, or who don't work in the procurement and supply chain space, that all of those things wouldn't have anything to do with procurement. But I think that everyone who works in that space go, they absolutely do. Um, absolutely. And I think that. You know, if if COVID has taught us nothing, it's just how pivotal um, the procurement department is as essentially that primary external liaison to all things that keep businesses running. Um, yes. So anything that updates up, you know, anything that sort of upsets that environment or that flow of how things work is is vitally important to keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening outside because procurement is going to be the team hits it first. Um, where those impacts are going to come in probably before even sales, I would say. Yes, without a doubt. It is the pointy end, and we learnt that through COVID, and we learnt that through Ukraine. Ukraine's another thing to watch this year, by the way. You know, that that could go in any direction, and it's the heart of food and manufacturing in Europe sits in a hub around Ukraine. So that, once again, if that escalates or de-escalates, will have huge impacts on our supply chains. Yeah. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double back to, if I can, um, just a point you raised around skill shortages, because it's something that I get asked about a lot of what are we going to do um, with this skill shortage and should we increase immigration and all sorts of other things that come along? And um, I get asked a lot of questions about this in the context of um, in the context of modern slavery around is it just because we're not paying people correctly that we have to import a cheap workforce? I don't think that's always the case, but certainly true in some industries, like we've seen in the agricultural industry, where we have to be careful about how we're paying workers and that the rates, the you know, the the type of payment systems don't um the outcome of that payment system is actually an unfair wage um, and may put people in distress or have them in financial disadvantage or something like that. But I think I also get asked a lot in this question around sort of gender diversity and inclusion of many different kinds in the construction industry. And we're starting to see a lot of um, a, a lot of big players in the construction industry playing in this space of diversity because, hey, guess what? There's 50% of the population out there that could come work for you. <laughs> uh Yes, so big picture, little picture with everything that it splits into. Um, yeah. Little picture, 
we're um, sizing jobs so that I can employ people that want to work 50%, returning mothers to the workforce, an incredible untapped resource within Australia. Um, we and John Holland work very closely with a couple of refugee organisations and we run a uh, internship course. I, I actually have a guy called Hallard who works for me who's an Afghani re refugee and you'll have to talk to him one day to get his story, Haley. It is amazing. I will. <laughs> a, really amazing what he did to get to Australia and, and how happy he is to be here just to be given the opportunity. So that that's one part of it is flexing our jobs training people so we can use who's here currently um personally i don't think i don't think we've got enough people in australia to address the construction industry as it is so i think mm. immigration's vitally important i think we've got to look at non-typical areas for immigration um you know i'm reaching back into my contacts from my time in korea looking for people who can come work for me who want to immigrate um Modern slavery and wages. Uh, we think, well, I, by the way, am responsible for the John Holland modern slavery statement or 50% of it, the supply chain part of it. Um, when we've looked at it, anybody who, who works on a construction award or professionally in construction is highly unlikely to be sub a modern slave. They just get paid too much. There are other parts of the industry that um, there, there are risk round. And there's risk round some parts of construction as well, but it it doesn't sort of sit there like the backpack backpacker fruit pickers. Um, yeah. So I think imported imported uh, immigration labour and especially professional level labour or artisan level labour um, is far less likely to introduce a modern slavery risk than actually offshoring production. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. So uh, th that was that was my team's analysis of it. So and I, I think that pretty much is in line with everybody else. Well I think that I mean, in a way, that's just kind of common sense, right? Like if it's if it's in Australia and it's on our turf, then it's likely to have less risk of than something in a foreign country on someone else's turf that you can't monitor as to yeah. exactly what goes on behind closed doors. Um, yeah. And that's not to say there's zero risk of that happening in construction in Australia. So for all those people out there listening, just absolutely don't bombard Jim with comments of all of the examples of modern slavery and construction in Australia. I'm happens. sure you're well aware of them. It does happen. Um, but we're just talking about relativity, right, yes. of, of just where that goes. Um, and I think that's another thing that we need to really sort of think about in Australia as well, because our uh, our systems and standards for modular construction in Australia are very high compared to what training you would require to work in a factory overseas for modular construction. And I've spoken about this before, thinking things like if you're assembling a uh, a plumbing component that would go into a modular construction in Australia, you need to be a qualified plumber in order to be part of that manufacturing process. Yep. Um, whereas my not being a plumber assumption would be if a plumber designs it and a plumber checks it at the end, then surely 50 other non-plumbers can be gluing the pipes together and having one plumber check to make sure it's good enough job in a factory setting uh, when all they ever do is join two tubes together. You know what I mean? Like I'm kind of thinking... Yep. 
there's got to be surely you don't need to do a five-year apprenticeship to join two tubes together for a few months um, and then move on. I think that Australia needs to be more fluid in how we want to address that to onshore a lot of that prefab um, instead of it going overseas. But, yes, without a doubt, the, there are great opportunities for prefab in Australia. And we. the good thing is that Australia's got a highly trained workforce out there. The bad thing is that highly trained workforce are expensive. And as you were saying, that you need to have the highly trained person make sure it's all good. But let's use and train the lesser trained parts of the workforce to do a lot of the jobs that don't require a four-year apprenticeship to do or a degree. You know, there's a lot of work out there that you don't need to have those skills and you can learn them. And, you know, uh, brings me to all sorts of questions about our TAFE education system and what we can do there because there are, uh, you know, TAFE has great opportunities for teaching people and you don't have to be uh, in a full-time apprenticeship to learn a lot of these skills. Yeah, totally. I agree. And I know that all because obviously we both work in the education <laughs> space. Um, but I think that I've found that even over the last three years, the change in what people want to learn and how they want to learn um, has changed significantly because people might change careers every four or five years. So they don't want to spend three years doing a degree and then working there somewhere for five years and then going and doing another three-year degree. Uh, it doesn't quite yeah. have worked that way. Um, and we're certainly starting to see the trend with the school where people are kind of, I always, <laughs> I know it's such a bad reference, they're going to be really old one day, but yeah. that scene in the Matrix where <laughs> they're on the roof and they see the helicopter and they're like, yeah. does anyone know how to fly a helicopter? And then you just download the program to fly a helicopter, mm -hmm. like just in time learning. Um, yep. And we're certainly seeing that with the school, you know, like I'm writing a modern slavery statement. Great. I'm going to go and update myself on modern slavery before I do it, like literally the day before. Um, yes. And that's kind of the, the future, the change. And I can see that sort of happening in the trade space of what are we doing today? Great. Let's do the upload training oh. just in time. And what's the current version for that? And go and do that. And I don't need to be a I don't need to learn everything. I just need to learn as much as I need to do to get my job done, um, because next year I might be working in a different industry. You industry. know, like. Yeah, and there's huge space for that. It's technical trades, you know. You come to a, a new pouring concrete for something slightly different. You know, how do I do this particular one? Go into your back catalogue of training and go, here's a quick video of how you do it. Okay. You know, I've got the core skills around it and now just learn how to do that piece. There's huge development can happen in that space. I mean, the digitization over the next 20 years is going to be fascinating. Yep. Yep. And I know that, I mean, we've both got kids, but I'm sure my kids go to YouTube as their primary source of learning everything. How do I? How How do I? Yes. This? How do I play this game? How do I fold this paper airplane? How do I, you know, it's kind of the, the go-to source of why well, remember anything if you can just search it up, right? Yeah. And how do I get very deep? How, how, do, how do I build a gaming computer? Um, yeah. Step by step, we'll take take you through how to build a high-performance gaming computer seamlessly. And I've watched that happen with a 15-year-old boy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So if they can do that, surely there's a future for modular construction with all of the uh, the kids joining the workforce, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We just need big, like, 
TV monitors next to their workstations yeah. where they can pause and rewind and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just watch it one frame at a time so they need to. All right, well, we just started talking about yeah. our kids, so I'm going to round out with the last question of the day, which is <laughs> what's one thing that you wish your younger self knew? Yeah, so you gave me this question earlier and I've pondered on it considerably and I was going, what is the most important thing that I could have, I wish I'd known younger? And it's probably the whole self-doubt thing that, you know, as a kid, I always thought, you know, everybody knew more than me that, you know, and as I've grown up, I've suddenly realised that everybody has those same sort of self-doubt issues that, you know, um, do I fit in? Am I cool? All, all those rubbish things that really stress most kids out, I believe. They stress me out. Um, you know, am I stupider than everybody else in the class and so on? And why do I feel like this and nobody else seems to? Of course, I've learned everybody else did feel like that. They, You just don't recognise it as a teenager or a 20-year-old where everybody's a hero. Um, and if I'd known that, my life would have been a lot more relaxed on the way through, I think. You make a really good point. And um, I suppose thank you, first and foremost, Thank you for being so honest about that because I think being vulnerable about that sort of thing is exactly what helps other people who hear this go, oh, I now have permission to say that out loud or I have now permission to believe that myself. Um, so you coming forward and saying that is really um, is really valuable to everybody. So thank you for doing that. Um, and, yeah, and I think that you're right. I'm just thinking back at myself going, yeah, there's so many things that you kind of just go, yeah, guess what? Nobody else has it together either, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and especially now we live in a social media world where all of the fun stuff and the, the bright, shiny, yeah. lovely world gets put up and then everybody likes it and isn't that wonderful. Sure. Um, it's sometimes it's really hard to see the what happens that doesn't get posted, right, and that everyone's sort of going through their own battles and um, their own internal things. Um, so I think that's a really important message to put out there, especially in the construction industry where there's um such a the wellness factor um of the workforce is such a high highly important thing for people to work through um especially hugely in many construction important. hugely important construction and hugely important in the young male area um important everywhere but construction and what is yeah. it males 25 to 35 are very very you know the losses we have are incredibly sad yeah, definitely. And hopefully something we can all do something to look out for um, and look out for each other. And I think that um, kudos to you for being um, putting yourself out there as being so vulnerable and allowing others to do that because that's part of the solution. So thank you so much for being courageous enough yeah. to do that, Jim. Thanks, um, Bailey. And thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you and I'm sure there's a million other topics that we could speak about in the future and hopefully you can join me then. <laughs> Thank you so much, Haley. It's been wonderful. And I've really enjoyed it. And thanks for listening to the People Planet Profit podcast. Until our next episode, goodbye. Goodbye.